Amen. Thank you for that, Katie. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. It's where we'll be at this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. If you have a copy of God's Word, either paper or electronic, both work just fine this morning. Uh, we'll be looking at this passage of Scripture uh, throughout the whole sermon. So, so keep your Bibles open as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. The title of the sermon this morning is, Who You Are and Whose You Are. I believe Peter has an important word of encouragement for us today, but also, as we'll see, to his original audience to remember who they are and whose they are. First Peter chapter two, uh, beginning with verse nine, says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have Receive mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we are thankful to be here this morning. God, we're thankful for your word. Father, we're thankful for the truth that we know that we receive from it. So Father, I pray that we would do just that. We might receive the truth from your holy word. And Father, in receiving that truth, we would meditate on it. We would reflect on it. We would let it pierce through us. Father, if there's anything in us that needs to be removed, Father, I pray that you would do that through the power of your word this morning. God, remind us of who we are and whose we are. Jim, we do pray. Amen. I want you to imagine what it would be like to find out that who you are and whose you are is completely wrong. Maybe you lived your whole life and then late in life you found out that everything you knew was a complete lie. It was wrong. Well, that's the story of a six-year-old Japanese truck driver that's what he had to grapple with when he found out he was switched at birth after he was born to a very wealthy, wealthy family. Instead of living that lifestyle, he was born into a very poor family. The single mom, after his dad passed away at a very young age, they lived in a hundred square foot apartment where his mom struggled to, to raise him and provide for education. The boy that he was switched with had all the advantages in the world he could possibly have. Went to private schools and university and became the president of a very wealthy real estate company. They were born in 1953. The hospital staff mistook him for the son of a couple whose real son was born 13 minutes after he was delivered. This, this story has ignited the nature versus nurture debate. Many people say that this is proof that it doesn't matter uh, what your background is. Nature cannot overcome nurture. And people who are born into poverty are doomed to stay there. Maybe, maybe not. But one thing is for certain is that whose you are plays a major role in shaping who you are. Okay, I think there are many people that when, when they get to heaven one day will find out that they lived life on earth 
completely different than what, what it could have been, that their life could have been so much better. And I'm not talking about having more worldly possessions or living a more comfortable life. I, I, I'm talking about the kind of peace that passes all understanding. I, I'm afraid that many of us, when we get to heaven one day, when we see Jesus for who he truly is and see just his excellencies, that we will say, ah, I missed it. I didn't truly know whose I was. I, di I didn't get it. I lived a whole different lifestyle than, than what I could have had. Again, not worldly possessions. None of those things matter because none of those things can touch what we have, the treasure that we truly have in Christ. Know who you are and whose you are because that's going to affect everything that you say and that you do in the life that you live here on this earth. And I believe that is the message, that is the encouragement that Peter is sharing with his, his audience and he's sharing with us today as well, that we would know who we are and whose we are, and in doing so, what we are to be doing while we are here temporarily on earth. My grandfather just turned 90 years old last week, in fact, last Thursday, and I, I was able to be with him down in, in South Georgia, and we had a big, a big party, about 40 people, uh, all family members were there. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren. We were all there to celebrate my grandfather. And we all went around the room saying different things and just, you know, telling funny stories. And then my grandfather said, do I get a chance to say something? I'm like, of course you do. It's your birthday. You're 90. You're like, the floor is yours. Take as long as you need. And he did go a little long, but that's okay. But at the end, before he was done speaking, he says, you know, the greatest blessing in my life has not been worldly possessions. And my grandfather is a very wealthy man. He's traveled the world, has many things and possessions and things. He said, but my greatest blessing and treasure in this world is my relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, church, when you know who you are and whose you are, you'll know that the greatest treasure in the world isn't anything that you can buy. It's a surrendered life to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that affects everything you say and everything you do and how you live your life. And we all need to remember who we are and whose we are. And Peter, in our text this morning, Peter lays out some incredible spiritual riches that believers have in Christ. And he encourages us and reminds us of the value that God places on each of us. And he tells us that this is not our permanent home. We're just passing through. And then he reminds us of who we are and whose we are, and in doing so, what we are to do with that. So let's look at God's word and see what God's word has to say to the church. That's you, and that's me, and that's who Peter was writing to back then. Let's see what he has to say about who we are and whose we are. You see, in verses 9 through 10, Peter wants us to know who we are and whose we are. And then he wants us to live like we know who we are and whose we are in verses 11 through 12. So that's what we're going to look at. That's what the whole point of the sermon is this morning, that you would know that. My, my goal is if when you leave here this morning, that you will know who you are and whose you are. There will be no identity crisis. That when you get to heaven one day and when you stand before Jesus, you will know that's that's whose I am. I've been waiting for this moment to be with the Father. Amen. So who is Peter writing to? Well, our text gives us a little bit of insight in chapter 1, verse 1. It tells us that there were exiles. 
Peter's writing to a group of exiles. Now, does Peter mean this literally or figuratively? Well, let's consider both just just for a moment. Perhaps Peter was inferring to the, the new believers who, because of their newfound faith in Jesus Christ, have become exiles in their own homeland. That Now they are no longer uh, supported and accepted by people. They're, they're living as refugees in their own homeland. No one will support them. No one will give them a job. No one will take care of them. Does this sound like a group of people who needed to be reminded of who they are and whose they are? Absolutely. Perhaps, though, Peter was speaking literally to the Jewish believers who had been separated from their homeland, right? Imagine being in a new land, new people, not knowing anyone or having any resources to find work to provide for yourselves, perhaps feeling hopeless and inferior. Does this sound like a group of people who needed to be reminded of who they are and whose they are? Absolutely. Perhaps Peter was speaking both literally and figuratively to to the people. We know that the early church was unlike anything in the world at this time. It it was very much a a mixed bag of people. You had Jews, you had Gentiles, you had rich, you had poor, you had males and females, you had young and old. This was not common during these days. Right? People didn't play well with other people, right? They kind of kept in their own groups. You stay here, you stay here. I think that's one of the reasons why Peter says, hey, you are now a chosen race. You're a new people. And, and it's really exemplifying what we see in heaven one day. So whether he was speaking literally or figuratively, one thing we know for certain is this. The believers uh, Peter is writing to are the new people of God. But as God's people, they have been disenfranchised, discriminated against, and mistreated. And Peter wants to remind them. He wants to encourage them to press on, to persevere, to know that this world, the afflictions that you experience now are just temporary. We're just passing through. Our home is not earth, but heaven. They need to be reminded of who they are and whose they are. And we, too, need that reminder as well. Peter's purpose in writing this letter is to encourage them to stand fast while they endure suffering. Peter wants them to persevere knowing that they have a great reward one day. They're to persevere by living a godly life, he says, by living as good citizens, model servants, gentle wives, and understanding husbands. Peter Peter expounds upon that more in this passage. You see, when, when believers live this kind of way, we show the world that we are placing our hope in God rather than in the joys and comforts of this world. Dr. Tony Evans says this, if we are going to be real kingdom citizens, our salvation has to become a visible reality that affects all we do. We need a Christianity that can be seen even in a world that opposes and rejects us. And I believe that is the message, that is the heartbeat of what Peter is trying to convey to his, writer, to his readers and to us this morning. That our life, knowing who we are and whose we are, affects everything that we do. And we need to, as Peter says here in verse 9, to, to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. That you have not been saved just to live a comfortable life and to wait till you die one day to go to heaven. You haven't been saved just to have fire insurance so you don't spend eternity in hell. No, you have been saved and you've been called with a purpose to go and to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light. And that's what we are to be doing. Because 
because of who we are and whose we are, it tells us what we should be doing. So we're going to expound upon that just a little bit more throughout the sermon. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me, if you will. Verses 9. Peter starts off, but you, there's a contrast word, isn't it? But. What is he comparing to? Well, look back at verse 8. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They, talking about the other people, stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And then he says, but you. Now, when I, when I hear this, but you, I, I, I hear my, my dad speaking to me, right? All the time I'd ask, well, dad, why can I do it? They're doing that. I don't care what they're doing. You're not going to do it, right? But you, right? My dad w- would say this phrase to me all the time growing up. Son, you remember who you are and whose you are. Her told me all the time, before I go spend the night at someone's house, before I go away on, on a baseball trip, spend the night somewhere, he would tell me, you remember who you are and whose you are. And I'm like, okay, whatever, right? Can I have some money for McDonald's later, right? Don't really care, whatever. And then he said it one more time when they dropped me off at college at Georgia Southern University. I'm in my dorm room, helped move me in. And he told me one more time, son, you remember who you are and whose you are. And then they left. And then I'm in this dorm room away by myself, no one's there, right? I'm waiting on my roommate to show up, and I'm just, I have a little bit of time to reflect. So I did that. Like, what in the world has my dad been saying, remember who you are and who you are? Well, I believe it's, my dad wants to remember who I am, that I, I'm, I'm a son of Jack and Terry Yarbrough. I, I carry that name with me, and I've been raised differently. I've been called to a different standard. Just because everyone else is doing something, my life is to be different. But more and greater than that, as a child of God, I too have been called to something different. I've been called to live a holy life, set apart something different, right? I'm not supposed to do what everyone else is doing, and I don't want to do anything to bring shame uh, to to God's name. Instead, I, I want to lift up the name of Jesus. I want to live my life in such a way that would proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness and into marvelous light. And so that, that is what Peter is saying here as well. Hey, that's not you. Here's, what, here's who you are. So Peter says here in verse 9, but you are a chosen race. Peter lists three labels of what the church is supposed to be. And that's me and that's you as the body of believers. We are supposed to be, he says, a chosen race, emphasizing God's loving initiative and in bringing people to himself and allowing us to be part of his church. You see, being a Christian does not erase your racial identity, but it does transcend it. Whatever you place your identity in, whether it be your race or your social economic status, all of those are to be secondary and a very distant secondary, not so close, secondary to your identity now as a child of God and a part of his church. You see, I am first and foremost a child of God. What I look like, my political preferences, my religious denomination affiliations do not define me. All those things are descriptions of who I am, and they are insufficient descriptions of whose I am. Because God is much bigger than that. God is not limited to what I am like, what what I look like. Think about who Peter is writing to. These exiles in in a new land with new people who do not look like them, sound like them, speak the same language, probably have the same thoughts and feelings about things. And so Peter's preparing them. He's preparing us for our, our, our new people in heaven. What does Revelation 7, 9 says? It says this. And after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation 
And tribes and people and languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands. Peter saying, I know. I know it's, it's tough here. I know you're with people who, who are completely different than you. But you need to remember who you are and whose you are. You need to remember that you are a chosen race. That God has, has chosen you specifically for this. This is your new people. This is who you belong with. This is who you identify with. And together, here's what you're going to do. Because of whose you are. We are a chosen race, a new creation in Christ Jesus. We, we are a new people. Secondly, he says we are a royal priesthood, reminding us as believers that as priests, we serve royalty. We have a, a task to do. We have a very important assignment that we have been given, serving royalty. There's something else we know about this audience Peter was writing to early in this chapter, really in verse 2. It says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that it by you may grow up into salvation. He, he's called them basically a bunch of babies, a bunch of immature kids. He's telling them, hey, it's time to grow up, guys. It's time to grow up. You have a calling. You, you're, you need to start acting like it. You stop acting like children and start acting like royalty that, that you serve they need to start carrying them, themselves that way. In church, we too need to carry ourselves that way. You see, we get so bent out of shape and we whine and complain about things when we are mistreated. Why? I, I believe it's because we forget who we are and whose we are. Peter is quoting Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, by identifying the church as a royal priesthood. In Exodus, the nation of Israel was to mirror to the nation's the glory of God, so that all nations would see that no God, that's little g God, rivals the Lord, the God. So Peter now says that God's kingdom of priests consists of the church of Jesus Christ. That's me and that's you. That's us together as the body of Christ. We are to reflect the glory of God. We are to display God's blessings to the nations. Wherever we go, wherever we find ourselves here in Paducah, Kentucky, or around the world, our job, our responsibility does not change. We are a royal priesthood, and we carry that out. That's who we are, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. Third, he says this, we are a holy nation, emphasizing that God has set apart the church for his use, and that as believers uh, have a valuable contribution to make to his church. We're a holy nation. You see, Peter is reminding us that holiness means not just being set apart from something, sin, you know, that, that is a big part of it. We are to live our lives differently. We are to, as, as Peter says here, to, to uh, make wage war against your soul, the, the, uh, abstain from the passions of our flesh, those sinful desires. So that is part of holiness. But being set apart for something, that's God's glory. It, it, it is both. It is abstaining from, from sinful desires and, and, and passions of, of our flesh. It is abstaining from those sins, but it's also being set apart for God's glory, that our lives collectively as a body of Christ, as the church, as we go out into a dark and a lost world, that our lives look differently, right? Just because everyone else is doing doesn't mean you're going to do it, right? I can still hear my, my dad's voice even now, and, and that's applicable for us today as well as believers in Christ to live our lives for God's glory. We have something to proclaim. Who are we? A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Well, whose are we? Verse 9 says right there after, after that says we are his own possession. Do you see that in there in Scripture? 
a, a people for his own possessions. And what are we to do with that? Well, he says here is that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We belong to the Lord. That's whose we are. We are his prized possession. And a little side note here. It's impossible to have a high view of Christ and a low view of the church. That's Jesus' prized possession. It's impossible to have a high view of Christ and a low view of the church, meaning we, the church, the bride of Christ, we belong to him. You see, who you are tells you a lot about who you should be with, right? Well, I love Jesus, but I don't like going to church. Now, that doesn't work like that. That would be like me saying, well, I, I love the Atlanta Braves, and I do, but I don't like going to the games, and I don't like watching the games on TV. That, that doesn't make sense in my mind. Now, I know a few people like that. Oh, yeah, I'm a Braves fan. Oh, yeah, what's the name of the coach? Well, I don't know, right? You're not a fan at all, right? And I, I think there's so many people who, who are like that. Well, I love Jesus, but I love the lake a little bit more or other things. Church, we, we, it's impossible to have a high view of Christ and a low view of the church, God's people, right? If you have had an encounter with Jesus, it's going to change you. You're not going to be the same person. You're going to have a new perspective, a new outlook, a new passion, a new yearning and a desire to be with God, to meet with God, and to be with God's people, and to learn and to study and to encourage with each other, because that's whose we are and, and who we are. With Going to church doesn't make you a Christian, just like sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car. I had a Sunday school teacher when I was in middle school tell me that, and I haven't forgotten to this day. It, it's a very simple but, but true statement. But if, if that's the bare minimum, let's say that's the bare minimum of Christianity is just going to church. It certainly isn't any less than that, right? But, but if there's such a thing as the bare minimum, I would say that is it, just coming to church. But there is so much more. And the problem we have today is similar to the problem Peter had with this group of people. They just wanted to do the bare minimum. They had a lot of growing up to do. And we have a lot of people satisfied with just doing the bare minimum of just coming to church when it's convenient for them. Jesus is more deserving of an occasional visit and a check-in. Amen? He is deserving of far more and far greater than that. Because when we see who we are, because of whose we are, when we see Jesus for who he is, that's going to change and affect everything that we say and everything that we do. Because now I want to live my life in such a way that does what verse 9 says, proclaim the excellencies. I want to be with God's people. I want to learn more about him. And I want to make him known. You see, these people, they've not fully understood who they are and whose they are that they are a chosen race, God has a purpose for them, that they are a royal priesthood, that God wants them to be knowing him and making him known, that they are a holy nation, that God wants them to be a strong family on a mission to reach the world for Christ. You see, being a true believer is more than just sitting in a pew or, or teaching a Sunday school class or, or passing out gospel tracts or going on mission trips. It is literally laying down your life upon the altar and offering up your body and your soul and your spirit as a living sacrifice unto God. So it's what Paul says, whether we live or whether we die, we shall be the Lord and live and die for him. That is what it means when you know who you are and whose you are. And that's how you to be living your life. Jesus is not just kind of some kind of uh, extra addition to your life that, that gives you 
happiness and joy. No, it literally defines who you are and how you live your life. Knowing who you are and whose you are lets you know what you should be doing and who you should be doing it with. Look again at verse 9. What does it say we, what does it say we are to be doing? To proclaim the excellencies. That is the essential service of the church, to proclaim. This is what we are to be doing, and this is best done in cooperation within the local church. You see, you you can't best proclaim the excellencies without being part of a local church. This is God's design. He knows that we need each other. We need the encouragement, the accountability, and the blessings that come with belonging with the local church. You see, together as a church, we proclaim the excellencies of God. Wayne Grudem says this, The answer to our search for ultimate meaning lies in declaring the excellencies of God. For he alone is worthy of glory. Salvation is ultimately not man-centered, but God-centered. To declare God's excellencies is to speak of all he is and has done. We are to proclaim that because of who he is, because of what he has done. We have something to get excited about. We have something to celebrate. You know, I have been proclaiming something very proudly since uh, November 2nd of 2021, last year. As a Braves fan, I've been proclaiming something really every day, that the Atlanta Braves are the World Series champions, right? Not too many amens out there. That's okay. But I have been proclaiming that, right? I, I have been so passionate fired up and excited about that. And, and I remember the, the night that they won, uh, full disclosure, I cried. Um, that night I cried when they won the game to make it to the World Series. And my wife got a little bit upset at me. And she said, ah, you're crying? You didn't even cry when we got married. And I was like, <laughs> and I said this out loud. I was thinking in my head and I said, well, I've waited 26 years for this. I was only 23 when we got married, right? So I waited a little bit longer for that. Probably shouldn't have said that. It's okay. But, but then before she went, because it was a late game, she went to bed and she said, you're going to want to buy some stuff, aren't you? I'm like, yes, I'm going to want to buy a T-shirt and a hat and everything like that. And she said, she threw out a number. She said, well, can you at least try and keep it under this amount? And I was actually quite surprised at how the, high the amount was given what I just said. But why did I want to purchase those things? Because I wanted people to know when I'm wearing that hat, hey, I have something to proclaim. Champions, champions, baby, right? And, and that's why I did. I had something to proclaim. And, and every day since I've been proclaiming that. But church, don't, don't miss this. I know this is a silly illustration. We have something so much greater, so better to proclaim, to be excited about, to celebrate for all of eternity. Something so much greater. Why? Because we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the undefeated champion of the world, Jesus Christ. Amen? So we have something to celebrate. We have something to be excited about. And we are to be doing that every single day. As Peter says, we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And Peter He appeals to the prophet Hosea to remind the church that their new status as the people of God depends solely on his mercy and his sovereignty. Don't miss this reference. Peter is reminding them of the prophet Hosea. No mercy, a people of no mercy. 
Look back to when, uh, before your conversion, who you were. Peter's reminding them, hey, this is who you were before. But because of what Jesus has done for you, you have received mercy. You have received forgiveness. You have received salvation. It's not based on anything you have done. Jesus has called you. He has chosen you. He has lifted you up out of the miry pit. He has set your feet upon a rock. And now you have a purpose. Now you have a meaning. Now you have identity because of nothing you've done, but because of everything that Jesus Christ has done for you. And that is something that we should be proclaiming and telling the world everywhere we go. That is what he means by proclaiming the excellence of him who have called you out of darkness and into light. Do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember the time? Do you remember the place? Do you, do you, remember, do you remember the, the understanding, the, the moment when you realized what Jesus did for you? Maybe you can't remember the time and the place, but, but you remember and you know right now that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. You know that there's nothing that you could ever do to, to, to earn your salvation. It's based on nothing, no amount of good works that you've ever done, but based on everything that Jesus did for you. That is him calling you out of darkness and into marvelous light. And Peter wants them and wants us to remember who they were before Christ, but know who they are now because of whose they are. Every day we have a reason to celebrate. Peter says we're to proclaim or to declare. That, that is a, a literal rendering, rendering of this verb would be to tell out or to tell forth, to give high priority to verbal declarations. You see, we as God's people, that's whose we are, are to be an instrument that publicizes the attributes and the character of God. That's our purpose. That's why we exist. You see, when you know who you are and whose you are, you then know why you exist and what you should be doing with your life. To know God and to make him known. Your search for ultimate meaning in life is found in this, in declaring the excellencies of God, for he alone is worthy of glory. When you declare God's excellencies, you are proclaiming who he is and what he has done. But you see, our problem is that we fail to proclaim his excellencies, and instead we want to proclaim our own. Or we proclaim the excellencies of this world, how great this is, this item, this person, this celebrity, this team even. We, we proclaim those excellencies more than we proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called us out of darkness and into light. There is nothing greater than that. And we get so distracted because we fail to realize who we are and whose we are in Christ. Church, the Lord wants our lives to be an advertisement for the excellent attributes of God. Not only that, but we're to be an active testimony of living day to day. Look at verses 11 through 12 very quickly here. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. I urge you, hey, listen, this is only temporary. We're not going to be here that long. You have a limited amount of time and you're to be doing this. You see, I understand this word sojourners a little bit. I, I grew up in, in Hinesville, Georgia. It's a military town. I had friends that, that I would, uh, had and that they left after three years because uh, military stationed them somewhere else. So our church and my, my school and my community was a constant coming and going, a coming and going. I understand the, the, the temporariness of a home. I've lived in many different homes in my life. In fact, the home I live in now is the longest I've ever lived in one home. This 
earth is not our permanent home. We are just passing through. And Peter says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Hey, I know things are tempting. I know you're going to be tempted to, to go and do things and to participate in other things. But you need to remember who you are and whose you are, and that your life is to look differently from that. And, and even when people make fun of you, when people hurl insults at you and lies at you, what does Peter say? Look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. That's living a holy life. That's knowing who you are and whose you are. That is difficult to do. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter's saying, listen, live your life in such a way so that your good works can help lead the lost to Christ. And when they see how you live your life, they will ask something. They will want to, to know more about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. You see, here at church on Sunday morning, it's easy to remember who we are and whose we are and how we should conduct ourselves. But when we walk out those doors, it's not as easy. We're, con we're confronted with the ways of the world. We're confronted with a lost world that, that wants to distract us, that is tempting. We enter into the world, and it's not so easy to remember who we are and whose we are and how we should conduct ourselves. And so Peter tells us to do just that. When you remember who you are and whose you are, you will see this temporary world through the lens of the gospel. And that will filter everything you say and do. And ultimately, watch this, ultimately, point others to Christ. And in doing so, you will be fulfilling verse 9, which says, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I don't know where you're at with the Lord today. I don't know what your relationship, what you're standing with, with Jesus looks like today. Maybe you're here today and you've been struggling with feeling like your life doesn't matter. Friend, your life does matter. It matters so much that Jesus went to the cross for you. You need to be reminded of who you are and whose you are. That you serve a God who loves you and loves you so much that he spared no expense for you. That's who you are and that's whose you are no matter what the world says about you. You need to remember who you are and whose you are. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with, with what your purpose in life is. Maybe you're young. Maybe you're old. Here's what I know. Here's the truth that transcends all ages. As long as there is still breath in your lungs, you should be doing all that you can to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous life. We have this day. That's the only day we have guaranteed. We have right now. So go and live your life in such a way that we'll be doing that, knowing who you are and whose you are. Perhaps you're here today and you've not been living your life in that way that points others to Christ. You know who you are and whose you are, but you're not living that way when you leave these doors. You're living a totally different lifestyle. Repent today and go and do what Jesus has called you to do. It's possible today in a room this size that you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation. Maybe you don't really know whose you are. You can know today who you are and whose you are because of what Jesus did for you. That you admit that you're a sinner. 
you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you confess him as Lord and Savior of your life, meaning he has the right to tell you how to live, that what his word says is truth and it tells you how to live your life and to obey him in obedience command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can do that this morning. If you're watching online, you can text the word today to 270-398-5005 and a minister will give you a call today. Some of our ministers will be down front. If there are decisions that you need to make today, would you do it? If there's something you need to repent of, would you repent? You can do it in your seat. You can come to the altar and kneel and pray. However the Lord leads, would you be obedient to what the Spirit is calling you to do? Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Whatever decision you need to make, I pray you'll be obedient. Church, my hope and my prayer is that when you stand before Jesus, you will not have any regrets about how you wasted your life. That, that you won't be like the truck driver in our story at the beginning who spent his whole life not truly knowing who you are and whose you are. Know today and then live like you know that to be true. Would you stand? We're going to have a time of invitation, time of response. However the Lord is leading you to respond, I pray that you will be obedient to do yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have called us out of darkness and into marvelous life. Father, there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. Father, we were a people without mercy, full of sin. But Father, thank you, as we sang earlier, that your mercy is more that you reached down and saved us. There's nothing we could ever do to obtain a status before you. Father, you did everything for us, and you tell us who we are, not the world, not any attributes or, or anything about us. Father, you tell us who we are because of whose we are, that we belong to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, we serve royalty. We have a higher purpose in this life. Father, I pray, and God, I yearn for my own life and for my family, for our students, for our church. God, that we wouldn't miss it. We wouldn't miss out on knowing you. Because, Father, in knowing you, we know who we are and whose we are and what, are we, what we're supposed to be doing with our life. To proclaim that everywhere we go. I, Father, I pray that we would never get more excited about anything else other than you, Jesus. That everything else in our life would be second place. And second place by a long shot. Not a close second. Father, you are the only one who's deserving of our praise and our worship. So, Father, I pray during this time of invitation, during this time of response, that your people would obey. That you would respond. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us first, and we do pray. Amen.